we're in a series from the book of Jonah. Not what you remember as a kid, this little book packs a punch. Dive in with us as we continue our series when God's grace doesn't make sense. Praise the Lord, what a privilege to call upon the name of the Lord even this morning. Amen. If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to the book of Jonah once again, Jonah chapter 1. We're going to be moving into Jonah chapter 2. We're in the middle of a series of messages from the book of Jonah entitled, When Grace Doesn't Make Sense. When Grace Doesn't Make Sense. How many of us know there are times when God's work in our lives and even the grace of God doesn't quite make sense to us? And that's what we're seeing happen here in the life of Jonah. And I want to read this morning. I'm picking up from where we left off last week. Jonah chapter 1, verse 17, and then reading down through chapter 2. And the Bible says, Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed, or more literally, Jonah was praying to the Lord his God, and he said, or he was saying, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet, and I'm going to read more literally or better translation of this second part. I've been banished from your sight, and I will not look again toward your holy temple. And I know that's different from what most of us have here, but uh, you've had to dive in this past week. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down, and the earth beneath barred me in or imprisoned me forever. But you, Yahweh, My God brought my life up from the pit. Hallelujah. For when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols, they turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. May God bless his word to us this morning. And so let me just kind of catch us up in Jonah's story this morning, especially for those who maybe haven't been here. But Jonah, his name means dove. Jonah the dove, the sign of God's salvation, the prophet of God, has tried to run away from God's call. He doesn't want to bring God's message to the Ninevites, warning them of impending judgment. His own fears and his prejudices cause him to head in the opposite direction towards Tarshish, 2,500 miles away, for fear that God might show grace to the archenemy of his people. But as we saw last week, God sends a supernatural storm that threatens to destroy the ship and all who are on it. 
And although Jonah doesn't realize it at the time, this storm is actually an act of God's grace at work within Jonah's life. For you see, God is chasing Jonah down. Aren't you glad for the times when God has chased you down? Amen. God hasn't let you go, but he's chased you down. Well, by the end of chapter one, we found that Jonah is thrown overboard and the sea immediately calms down. It's almost as if as if as soon as Jonah's body hit the waters and went under, everything stopped. Bam. Calm, peaceful. We find the pagan sailors there at the very end. They're worshiping the true God, Yahweh. We saw last week how one man's life has been sacrificed for the sake of the many. God's grace extended to these pagan sailors who were overboard as they received an incredible revelation of the true God of heaven and earth. And so we saw God's grace at work in Jonah's life to chase him down through the storm, although he didn't know it yet. And God's grace at work in the lives of these pagan sailors as they receive a revelation of the true God of heaven and of earth. And last week, we highlighted as well Jesus' words, and we need to keep them in our minds, in the back of our heads, as it were, that that we saw Jesus, he speaks of the sign of Jonah. And on the surface, according to Jesus' words, the sign of Jonah is the three days that Jesus will spend in the grave, like Jonah spent three days and nights inside the fish, and then Jesus' own resurrection from the dead, from the grave, as Jonah came out of the fish three days later. But Jesus, he adds an important thought when he says that he is the greater. He is the greater Jonah. He is the truer Jonah. And thus we might rightfully say that in some ways, Jonah's life and ministry can be seen as a prototype of Jesus' own life and ministry, of how Jesus came not just for his own people, Israel, but he came for the nations, for the goyim, for the pagans, we might say. And we saw last week how even in Jesus' life, it was all about one man sacrificing his life for the salvation of the many. Just as Jonah was being asked to be a dove, a sign of God's salvation to those sinful pagans over in Nineveh. We see Jesus, the greater Jonah, Jesus, the greater dove, being sent to bring the grace of God to all peoples, to all nations. For God so loved whom? Whom? The world. Not just some. Not just Israel. Not just Americans. Not just Peruvians, right? Right? Got you, Connie, there, right? (laughs) But God sent his son for all peoples, for all nations. And as we go through chapters one and then into chapter two, we find a progression here, a progression. And you see it here on the screen here from a storm, this supernatural storm to death or to Sheol, as we're going to talk about in a moment, to Resurrection, And that's why, as, as you'll see, I entitled this morning's message, um, Grace in the Midst of Sheol, in the Midst of the Grave, in the Midst of Death. But we see this progression where, where we find Jonah, Jonah ends up in this supernatural storm that threatens to take his life. He's being thrown overboard, which in his mind, listen, we know he survived. But, but when he was being thrown overboard, you think he thought he was going to survive? No way. No way. He thought that was his end. He was going to drown. 
and eventually then to being swallowed by this huge fish of some sort, which he likens in his prayer here to being in Sheol, the place of the dead. I mean, he thought, you know, he, he's, he's in the water. He's in this storm. He's going to drown. Now this fish comes in, swallows him up. You think he thought he was going to live? Oh, and eventually to his surprise and our surprise as we read it through, we, we read of his resurrection, we might call it, as the fish spits him out on dry land alive. Now, again, we need to consider that, that when Jonah was thrown into this sea and then swallowed by this fish, to him, this was not the salvation of God. From his perspective, this was his end. This was his death. For him, it must have even meant a slow and torturous death a great punishment that had come from God. For he, as he swallowed by this fish, and in the Hebrew, there's no word for whale. So whatever it was, it was this huge fish, possibly a whale. But as he swallowed up, he's left in complete darkness. Can you imagine each time this fish rose to the surface and then plunged into the deep? It must have been a terrifying experience as water and gastric juices and who knows whatever else was in that fish was rising and falling, rising and falling. Can you imagine how terrifying that must have been? In fact, being in the belly of a fish meant that he was sitting in these gastric juices that were meant to digest food. Guess who the food was at that moment? Slowly breaking it down. Can you imagine the effect those juices were having upon Jonah's body? Yes, for Jonah, this was a torturous and slow death. From his perspective, this was not the grace of God at work. Let me just pause here and say that Jonah being in a fish is a problem for many people. Right? Especially those who want to somehow discredit the scriptures and discredit miracles. And many have asked, well, is this possible? Is it possible for a whale or whatever it was to swallow a man whole and then for that man to survive inside its belly? And I know, you know, there, there are some stories that have circulated about such happening to other people. The most famous one coming from the 1890s of a, of a sailor, um, James Bartley, who supposedly fell off of, a, of, off of a whaling vessel in the Falkland Islands and was swallowed by a sperm whale. And the whale was caught shortly afterwards, and when they opened it up, they found the man supposedly alive inside, although he was, we're told, in very bad shape. His body was a mess, and he was blind for the rest of his life, um, so we're told. Um, but I do need to note for us, if you go online, you kind of look it all up, you find that there are a lot of inconsistencies in the story, and, and one being that the ship captain's wife denies the whole thing and says it never happened. Well, we don't know. Others point out that even if a man was swallowed whole, which is possible, but um, a, a whale, a sperm whale, has four stomachs, and that he would most likely drown or suffocate within the whale's stomach, and that it's physiologically impossible for a man to survive within a whale. And so, you know, people point all this stuff out. Well, I just want to say this from our perspective, first of all, how many of us know that all things are possible with God? So you see, this is not a normal 
physical, physiological event. Even the storm itself was not a natural storm. It was a supernatural storm. And so, you know, God can do a lot of things. God can work miracles of life and preservation of life. And so I have no problem believing that God could somehow set it up for Jonah to get into one of the stomachs where there would be oxygen there and not just methane gas and carbon monoxide, dioxide, whatever. But God can work miracles. And this would be a miracle. Yes, it's out of the ordinary. Yes, it's not physically possible for it to happen, but God is a God of miracles. And we know however it happened, bottom line, God rescued Jonah. He brought Jonah from a certain death back to life. And that's the whole point of what we're looking at here this morning, that by his grace, God brought Jonah from death to life. And how many of us know it's all God's grace that takes us from death to life? Right, right, right. As, as the disciples were talking to Jesus and Jesus says, you know, like it's impossible for the rich man to get, th- you know, to get into heaven. It's like a camel going through the eye of the needle. And, and, um, and, and the disciples say, well, then who then can be saved? What does Jesus say? Listen, what's, what's impossible with man is possible for God. He's a God of grace and a God of power. And that's what we need to focus on today lest we... Miss the whole point. So if somebody says to you, well, that can't really happen, just say, listen, I serve a God of miracles. I don't know how he did it, but bottom line is Jonah went from death to life. He went from Sheol, from the grave, to life. And we come in chapter 2 here to what's called, it's titled in most of our Bibles, Jonah's Prayer. But I would, I would like to say that it's better titled Jonah's Psalm, his psalm. Because it's what we read here is really modeled after a psalm of lament, like we find in other places in Scripture. Many of those psalms which Jonah would have had in his own day. And for instance, just some examples so we can get get a feel for it. But in Psalm 69, verses 1 through 3, and I want you to notice the similarities between what we read Jonah's psalm there And these these words here where the psalmist writes, save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in the miry depths where there is no foothold. I have come into the deep waters. The floods engulf me. I am worn out calling for help. My throat is parched. My eyes fall, fail looking for my God. And over to verse 14. Right, the psalmist says, rescue me from the mire. Do not let me sink. Deliver me from those who hate me from the deep waters. Do not let the floodwaters engulf me or the depths swallow me up or the pit or the, the pit, the grave, close its mouth over me. Over in Psalm 88, we read these words. Lord, you are the God who saves me. Day and night I cry out to you. May my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry, for I am overwhelmed with troubles and my life draws near to death. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am like one without strength. I'm set apart with the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, who are cut off from your care. You've put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. Your wrath lies heavily on me. You've overwhelmed me with all your waves. And then going to verse 13, he continues, but I cry to you for help, Lord. In the morning, my prayer comes to you. 
Why, Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? From my youth, I have suffered and been close to death. I have borne your terrors and in despair. Your wrath has swept over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. All day long, they surround me like a flood. They have completely engulfed me. Verse 18, you have taken from me friend and neighbor, and darkness is my closest friend. Can we sense the similarities between these psalms of lament and Jonah's own words there inside that that fish? It appears that Jonah's words are less a, a prayer, literally, than they are a psalm that is a poetic expression of his heart to God, a poetic reflection of his circumstances, his response to them, and his internal battle of faith, even his battle with God. And we notice as you, as you read through, look, look back at Jonah chapter 2 there. We find that it's all written in past tense, which says to us they are reflective of how Jonah was feeling and what he was saying to God while he was inside that fish, but were obviously written after the fact. Because if you're in the moment, you're not speaking past tense. But somehow Jonah, you know, was able to pen his thoughts and his words after he had survived. And they ref but they reflect his prayer at the time, not actually maybe his literal words, um, because if, you know, he was there three days and three nights, right? If you read this, it takes you like one minute. Did he only pray for one minute? Well, of course not. But they reflect what he had been praying. And in fact, again, verse 2, he said, or he was saying, he was saying over and over again, as he was crying out to God, these words are an account of the journey that Jonah was on with God during this time, a journey of faith, a journey of prayer, a journey out of death and despair. And as I look at them, I see that they are a cry, the cry of a man who's about to die. We could say they're the cry of a man who's on his deathbed. I mean, for Jonah, this is the end. As you go through the psalm here from verses 3 to the beginning of verse 6, you find his words are getting darker and darker. It's as, it's as if he's being plunged deeper and deeper down into Sheol, into the sea, into the grave, into the place of the dead. These are the words who sense that his life of a man who senses his life is about to come to an end. Notice he says, I've been hurled into the sea or into the depths. I've been banished from God's presence. The deep surrounding, seaweed around his head, sinking to the bottom, barred in, imprisoned forever in this place of death. Jonah has no hope. In fact, I noted verse number four, the second half of the verse. There's, it's a very hard piece to um, actually translate well. And most of our translators, they try to like write in a little bit of hope right in there. But in the Hebrew, these are parallel lines building upon each other. And so it just seems to me, Jonah said, listen, I've been banished from your sight. I'm, 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 I'm not going to see your temple again. I'm, 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 I'm like way out of the presence of God forever. Because at this moment in his psalm, Jonah has no hope. Jonah's going down, and he's sinking very, very fast. We might say it's the cry of a man who's experiencing his own. Some of you have heard the phrase before but he's experiencing his own dark night of the soul. Anybody ever hear that phrase before? His own dark night of the soul. It's a time of spiritual crisis, a time of spiritual depression, 
that point in life where in one's life and one's spirituality and their walk with God seems to make no sense, that dark place in which one loses all sense of God's presence. Where are you, God? Jonah's whole life as a prophet of God has come to this, death inside the belly of a fish, deep down at the bottom of, of the sea with no one to bury him and no one to mourn over him. From Jonah's perspective, God is punishing him. God has turned his back on him. He's destined for death, for eternal darkness. He's become imprisoned in Sheol, that Hebrew word for the grave, for the place of the dead. That's deep down below the sea and below the earth. And it's as if we hear Jonah crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And yet Jonah knows why. Because he knows his sin. He knows he's been unfaithful to God. And thus in his mind, God was punishing him. This was the judgment of God. He was trapped in death, imprisoned in the grave. He's sinking, he's sinking, and he's sinking fast. And in his mind, never to rise up again. And we read verse 6 again. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in or imprisoned me forever. But then we come to the twist of the whole psalm. The twist of the whole psalm. Something totally unexpected that blows our minds when he says, here I am, I'm, I'm imprisoned in the depths of the earth, deep down in Sheol, but you, Yahweh, Jehovah, my Lord, brought my life up from the pit. Now let me ask you, do you I mean, I know most of us knew the story before we got here today, but do you think if you were reading this story for the first time that you would expect Jonah to say those words? Of course not. We thought his words were going to end, and the earth beneath me barred me in forever, and I died right down there. It sounds like a terrible, tragic, and yet understandable ending, almost like Psalm 88. I mean, Psalm 88 ends with, Psalm 88 doesn't have this kind of ending like we read in this psalm. Psalm 88 ends with, and darkness is my closest friend. I know you guys just love to get up in the morning if your devotion, love to read at the start of your day. Darkness is my closest friend. Oh, thanks a lot, God, you know, for your word for me today, you know? But unexpectedly we read, but you, Lord, brought my life up from the pit. And with those words, you see, Jonah now, he gives the end of the story. That's how we know he wrote these words. He made sure they got transferred on to us after it all occurred. And suddenly the reader receives a ray of hope. Notice verse 7, if you will, where he says, When my life was ebbing away, my life is, I'm sinking, I'm sinking, I'm dying, I'm dying. My life is ebbing away. And then he says, I remembered you, Lord. In other words, somehow, somewhere within those three days and nights inside the fish, as Jonah was reflecting on his sin and the storm and sinking to the bottom of the sea in the, in the middle of that, that being there in that fish and the terrifying experience that must have been as Jonah's life was ebbing away, as he was moving closer and closer to death, he remembered the Lord. And suddenly, as he remembered the Lord, 
I have to believe something happened in Jonah's heart, mind, and spirit. His heart and spirit began to rise above the darkness, the despair, and the death. Even long before he was physically revived, physically resurrected, rescued, and so forth, he didn't know if that would happen. And yet, yet he was being revived in his spirit. As the Apostle Paul writes many years later, he goes, though outwardly we're, um, we're wasting away, I'm wasting away, yet inwardly I'm being renewed day by day. And what we might ask, did Jonah remember? I have to believe he... he it was more than, well, God exists. Of course he believed God exists. But he began to remember all the things that he knew about God from his experience with God. In fact, part of it was the reason he was running, and he didn't want to go to Nineveh. But he remembered that God is a loving God, that he's a God of grace, of mercy, of compassion, and a God of power. And thus, even in the midst of death, even from his own shield, he could declare salvation comes from the Lord, from his prison. He would lift his voice to God with, shoutful, with, with shouts of grateful praise, as he writes. Like Paul and Silas, who many years later were behind those prison bars, and we read of how at midnight they began to just sing hymns of praise to God. What happened? The place began to shake. The prison bars were open. You see, bottom line, Jonah, Jonah, he finally begins to entrust his life into the hands of the God from whom he'd been running. We read earlier in chapter 1, he was trying to get out of the presence of God, and now he's saying, God, I need you. I remember you. God, will you, will you allow your presence to work in my life once again, whether it's in life or in death? For he remembers the God that is a God of grace and power. And even if he wasn't rescued from death, at least he knew God would be with him, that God would be his salvation right there in the belly of this fish, right there in the midst of his shield, his grave, his place of death. In verse 10, we read of God's response. And it seems like it's almost an addendum. I mean, it happens so fast, right? I mean, you're not expecting it, right? And yet, Yet in retrospect, it's part of God's plan of grace where it says, it's, and it says so quickly that Yahweh, the Lord, commanded the fish and vomited Jonah onto dry land. Can I just say, that's a miracle in itself. How does a fish get that close to land to spit him out onto dry land without the fish getting beached and dying himself, Right? But it's another miracle of God. Like God said, you know what? I'm going to get him out of this fish, and I'm not going to have the fish spit him out in like 50 feet of water in the middle of the waves, you know? But he spits him out onto dry land. And you see, the point is, as we read this and then we look back over the rest, we realize God wasn't punishing Jonah by sending the storm and then plummeting him down to the depths inside a huge fish. But God was rescuing Jonah. The storm, the darkness, the depth to which Jonah was taken were all part of God's grace at work in Jonah's life to get him back on track, to save him from himself, and to save him from eternal death. 
And so God commands the fish to spit Jonah onto dry land. Yes, Jonah has gone through the storm. He's gone through his own death, as it were, his grave, his sheol. But Jonah is now experiencing resurrection life. Jonah has been given a new lease on life. It's, and it's a story of, of the grace of God at work in the life of this rebellious prophet as Jonah is being given another opportunity to live and fulfill his calling as God's man, as God's prophet. God's grace is giving Jonah a second chance as he brings him from death to life. What a gracious God we serve. What a wonderful God of grace. And I want to tell you this morning, Jonah's story is the story of every person who is willing to call upon the name of the Lord. That by his grace, he takes us from death to life. From death to life. And so there's some lessons that we learn from Jonah's psalm, Jonah's prayer, some takeaways, as I've been saying. For we might ask ourselves this morning, well, how ought we respond when we find ourselves not only in the midst of a storm like we saw last week, but even knocking on death's door? Or what about those times when we find ourselves in that place that we would call the dark night of the soul, when we're crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Those times when we're experiencing emotional and spiritual death, when it feels like we're sinking to the bottom, like we're, like we're moving towards the grave, and there seems to be no way to make it out or make it up. How do we respond, and what do we say when it feels like we've landed in Sheol, the place of the dead? And I know some of you are saying, like, Pastor, what are you talking about? But I know that there are others here that know exactly what I'm talking about. When everything you've ever lived for has been stripped away from you. When all of your hopes and your expectations for life have been dashed. When your world has been just totally rearranged and turned upside down and you're questioning your life, your faith, your relationship with God, and it feels like you've been plummeted into this really dark place and you just can't sense God's presence. And you're praying and you're crying out to him, but it seems like no answer is coming. And we can go through all kinds of examples and talk about that. I just want, I just want to say this morning, like, Like, as I was reading this and studying this and working on this sermon this morning, like, like I, I found my pl myself in a place of weeping and tears as I thought about what I've heard from people's lives, even within our own congregation. And the darkness that comes into people's lives. And I reflected back upon my own life. And I can remember laying on a bed one day not too long ago. And laying on a bed and everything, everything I thought I had lived for, even since I was a kid, a teenager, giving my life to follow Jesus and to serve him. And suddenly everything is like gone, like everything's turned upside down. You're like, God, what's going on here? God, are you still good? Like, is it worth it? Was it worth it? Come on, church, some of you know what I'm talking about in your own life. But it's not just a storm because we kind of, okay, the storm's going to pass. But we actually find ourselves in what we would call the grave. Sheol, a place where everything is dying on the inside of us. We just don't know how we're going to go on. 
We don't know if it's worth it to go on. And so what happens when you find yourself in that place of utter darkness and helplessness? Uh, listen, there might be some here who say, Pastor, you're not supposed to talk like that. I've heard it from some of you, you know. Oh, you know, we just, just talk positive words. But I want to say to us this morning, we have to grapple with it. We have to grapple with it. And so what do we do? What do we do when we find ourselves in that deep, dark place? And Jonah's psalm gives to us at least some hints. The first thing is this. Be honest with God. Be honest with God. That is, you don't need to put on the face with God. For how many of you know, God already knows what's taking place. You don't have to put on the face with God. Don't be afraid to lift up your own lament to God. It's okay to complain to him. It's okay to ask him questions. That's one thing we see. The Hebrews were really good at doing as they wrote their psalms of lament. In fact, it's something that even modern-day Jews are really good at doing. They know how to complain to God. Well, maybe they know, but like we know how to just complain, you know? But they know how to complain to God. Be honest about your sin. You know what we call that? Confession. Be honest about your situation. Face the reality of what's taking place. There's no need for positive confession when you feel that everything is dying within you. Be honest about your feelings. You don't need to hide behind a happy face. It's okay to cry out to him, God, where are you? Why have you forsaken me? Why am I here? Again, the biblical writers do it all the time. In fact, notice verse 3. Jonah says to God, you hurled me into the depths. And some might say, no, 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 that was the sailors who threw him overboard. But Jonah knew that God was behind it. And he was going to go to God with all the feelings that had risen within his soul. Listen, if you're feeling like you're in that place of Sheol and the depths, be honest about it. Not so much with the people around you as much as with God. Tell him, speak to him. Don't try to hide behind words of faith or a pretty Christian faith. Go to God and be honest. Be open with him. And then secondly, Verse 2, we see, cry out to God. Even though Jonah felt very distant, even felt like God was very distant and completely absent, he says, I called to the Lord. I called for help. And in retrospect, he would be able to say, he answered me. You listen to my cry. Cry out to God. You know, there's a song, we just sang it this past Wednesday night, very, you know, simple song that says this. Say the name. Say the name of Jesus. When you don't know what else to pray, when you can't find the words to say, say the name Jesus. Have you ever been there where you just didn't know how to pray? You didn't know what to say? And Jonah, I'm sure he didn't know what to say, but he just looked to the Lord. He cried out to him. Maybe there are times just, you know, as, as a step of faith, we just say, Jesus, Jesus, I don't know what else to pray. I don't know. God, God, get me out. God, get me in. You know, God, you know, set me free. God, keep me here, whatever. And listen, it's easy to pray when God seems very near. And it's easy to call upon him when the spiritual atmosphere is, feels charged, when there are people around you filled with faith and the worship team is, is leading us in, in songs of praise and the word is being preached. It's easy to, to say, yeah, I'm going to call upon the name of the Lord. But what about those times when you're laying on your bed all alone and everything seems really, really dark when it feels like you've landed in Sheol? Listen, we quote all the time, cast all your cares upon him for he cares for you. 
But listen, can we really believe that he cares for us? Maybe as we find ourselves sinking, all we can say is, God, I'm crying out to you today. God, listen, this is what's happening in my life. This is how I'm feeling. I don't understand. Why have you forsaken me? But God, I call upon your name. I just say, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And the last thing I see here would encourage us to find a way to worship God. That's what verse 9 is all about. That with shouts of grateful praise, I will sacrifice to you. Somehow Jonah finds it within himself, even in this very dark place, to offer praise to God. It's another act of faith, is it not? For it's one thing to praise God and worship him when we're on the mountaintop. It's another thing to praise him when we find ourselves at the bottom of the sea. It's one thing to praise God when we find ourselves in a place of joy. It's another thing to to praise him when we find ourselves surrounded by darkness, grief, and despair. And again, it's not about putting on some fake act of worship, but it is about saying to God that in spite of what's happening in my life, I'm going to continue to believe that, God, you are still good, that you are still a gracious God, that you are still a God of power. And so even though I don't feel like it and you feel like you're a million miles away, God, I'm still going to declare your name and your praise. God, I'm going to praise you. But God, even in my personal shield, I'm going to lift up your name. You see, Jonah forgot, but I believe he came back to these words Psalm 139, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, in Sheol, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for darkness is is as light to you. And so in the midst of the dark night of our soul, in faith, we go to God, believing that even when we don't feel him, even when his light isn't there, he's still there. And so we worship him, and we believe that he is yet filled with power and mercy and love and grace, and that in him and through him is found resurrection life. And that he doesn't just leave his people in Sheol. He doesn't just leave his people in the grave. Um, Luciana, if you'd come, thank you. Because I want to remind you this morning that the grace of God is able to lift you up to new life. That no matter how deep you've plunged, if you find yourself maybe today hitting bottom, you can know that the grace of God is there to lift you up. You might not feel it at the moment. You might not understand it. But I want to tell you this morning, the grace of God is there to lift you up. Jonah says, I sank down. I went down. I went to the bottom. But he goes on to say, but but you brought my life up. And that's the testimony of every person who will call upon the name of the Lord. Because listen, church, how many of us know life brings us down? Things happen in life that will cause us to hit bottom. Our own sin, our own rebellion against God brings us down. Our own efforts, even our good works, our religious rituals, 
eventually they bring us down. But you see, this is the gospel message. That the wages of sin is death. It's death. It's Sheol. It's the grave. But the scripture goes on to say, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Or as Paul wrote to the Ephesians, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions, for it is by grace you've been saved. Oh, can you say amen to that this morning? Oh, I want to tell you today, the grace of God is able to lift you up. He's able to take you from death to life. That's what his grace is able to do. That's what his grace is all about. So that even when we die physically and they put us six feet under and they cover it over and they put that nice little marker on top and they lay some flowers there. Listen, we might be physically dead, but God doesn't leave us in the place of the dead. But he, he, he comes and he lifts us up. He draws us to himself to be, to be dead to this world is to be alive to Christ. For salvation comes from the Lord. He saves us from the power of death so that we can rightfully say with Paul, where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? And so listen, today, first of all, if you're dead in your sins, you've been living your life far away from God, and you just know today that the way you've been living has pushed you further and further away from God, you know this morning that your sin, your rebellion against God is causing your life to spiral downward. Listen, again, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Every single one of us is born as a sinner. We're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. And thus we're separated from God and we're headed for death. We're headed for Sheol. But the gift of God is eternal life. Christ Jesus, our Lord. And today, if you call upon the name of the Lord, if you call upon the name of Jesus, his grace comes to you. And, he, and, and Jonah's testimony becomes your testimony. I was hitting bottom, but he lifted me up. He brought me back to life. If that's you this morning, I want to encourage you to call upon the name of the Lord Jesus. And Jonah's testimony will be your testimony. But secondly, Today you find yourself in your own personal shield. It feels like because of stuff that's happened in your life, whatever it is, you've landed in the grave. I challenge you, call upon the name of the Lord. Trust in God. Trust in the grace that he offers you. And he's able to lift you up. It's not his, his will that you would, you would stay in that place. And I look back over my life, and I, yes, I remember that time when it was like I was in my own personal shield, but I also remember and reflect upon how God came into my life, and by his spirit and by his grace, he lifted me up out of that place. And I'm nobody special. He does that for everyone who calls upon his name. The grace of God comes to lift us up so that we might say with Jonah as our testimony, I sank down, you brought me up. I sank down, but you brought me up. Will you bow your heads with me, worship team? Would you come and join us here this morning?
just begin to pray, church. Come on, maybe you're in that place this morning. You need, you need God to help you. You feel like your life is sinking in some way. You need, you need God to help you. Listen, he loves you and he has grace enough to lift you up this morning. Maybe.